This week on the Science of Politics, the electoral effects of impeachment. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. As the House moves forward with impeachment, what are the electoral risks for Democrats in pursuit or Republicans in defense of President Trump? This week, we'll learn from research on the role of impeachment of Bill Clinton in the 1998 and 2000 elections and compare how things look today for Trump compared to Clinton and to Richard Nixon. I talk with Gary Jacobson of the University of California, San Diego, about his article on impeachment politics in the 1998 congressional elections, and his long-term tracking of public opinion and election results. Jacobson finds that other factors overwhelmed impeachment in congressional elections. Although some members did gain from bucking their party, partisan election trends are too strong for a big impact. I also talked to Erwin Morris of the North Carolina State University about his book, Votes, Money, and the Clinton Impeachment. He finds that parties can work to protect their members who vote against the constituents' opinions on impeachment. He's also expecting near-party-line votes this time, as polarization has only increased the gains for going along with party leaders. We've only had a few impeachment efforts, but we may be able to learn a little bit from the last one. Jacobson says the big lesson is expect only small effects because of lots of other factors. I mean, there were, there were small effects in 98. There were small, also small effects in 2000, the kind of legacy of impeachment. But they were effects that were overwhelmed by the usual fundamentals that drive elections, state of the economy and the president standing with the public. I mean, Clinton, the Democrats actually gained seats in 98, which was the first time since the 30s that uh, a party had picked up seats at the midterm. It happened later under Bush, but that was the first time it had happened in a long, long time. And it's because Clinton was 66% approving. The economy was doing very well. There wasn't a hangover of extra seats the Democrats had because he had had no coattails to speak of in, uh, in 1996. And so the outcome looks pretty much like what the standard models based on the, on the economy and presidential approval would have predicted. So it was, in fact, a kind of normal outcome in a very abnormal year. And it looks like you can find a few cases where where uh, position-taking on, uh, on impeachment might have had some effect on the outcome, but really not very many. And by 2000, of course, uh, it was not entirely forgotten, but uh, it was uh, kind of super, superseded by events. There weren't a lot of Democrats angry about it and, and willing to take it out on Republicans, because what did they have to be angry about? Uh, impeachment failed. Uh, Clinton remained in office. Uh, they were they, they liked him being there. They got what they wanted, which was the status quo, uh, and so they weren't too angry. And, uh, and Republicans were uh, didn't want to dwell on impeachment either because it hadn't hadn't been a popular success, hadn't been a political success in '98. For Trump, um, my guess is it'll be pretty much the same. If you look at his numbers, they're just astonishingly stable over the course of uh, almost three years now that he's been in the White House. The, uh, his approval ratings have been pretty much flat, uh, highly polarized, gone up a little bit among Republicans, down a little bit among Democrats, but they were already very low among Democrats, down in single digits now, we're in the kind of you know, 5% range uh, in the 80s, uh, sometimes in the high 80s for Republicans. But those uh, numbers have been very, very stable in the face of uh, all sorts of things that have gone on that one would have thought might have moved the public one way or another. Morris says there was some effect in the 2000 elections for the Senate, but the party was largely able to defend House Republicans. What I found was in the House, 
it, it mattered relatively little. House members that cast votes that were unpopular with their local constituents were able to raise a sufficient amount of campaign funds to offset that that unpopularity. And in the Senate, it didn't matter a great deal. There were a few Republicans that lost very, very close races in the Senate that had supported impeachment in states where impeachment was not popular. And so there did seem to be a small effect in the Senate, but in the House, there was, there was little or no effect. And then when a graduate student and I uh, from Maryland, went back and looked at the impact 20 years later, Nick Miris, and I looked at the, the career trajectories for individuals who were involved in the impeachment proceedings, either in the House and the Senate. And there was relatively little impact. So voting against your party didn't seem to be that big a deal. Voting with your party, there, there, just, there just really wasn't much of a substantial impact as far as career development for individuals who were there at the time and participated in either the impeachment or in the, in the Senate hearing. Jacobson agrees there could have been some effects in 2000, but parties were able to defend vulnerable members. It's possible, but I think it's, it's part of a broader dynamic in which seats that are held by a party that are, that are risk for any reason attract lots of money from the party these days, more so now than there was in 1998. But the idea that parties would invest in the, their marginal seats and try to hold on to their risk, at risk incumbents, regardless of the source of the risk, is, is kind of standard. You know, it's what you would expect. Whether or not that money was decisive in, in keeping the seats, I think, is a an entirely different question. Certainly, that doesn't hurt, but it's really hard to demonstrate that that, that was a, a spending money like that is a decisive factor. It is true, that, however, that those members of Congress who support their party in districts where that's not such a good thing, now, at least these days, tend to be very well supported by party sources and by independent groups that are allied with the parties. So it does take a, it's, it, there is a kind of payoff for taking that risk, and that may have been true in 1998 as well. The, the main electoral effect that I was able to discover for uh, the impeachment was actually in 2000, the 2000 election where Adam Schiff defeated James Rogan. Adam Schiff, currently leading the charge for the Democrats, defeated uh, James Rogan, who had been leading the charge for the Republicans in impeachment in 1998. There was a, a bit of an irony there. And there were a couple of other districts where uh, Clinton was quite popular and the Republican imported and was beaten up for supporting impeachment and lost. And Ryan Bilbrey down in my neighborhood was was one of them. Rogan, maybe maybe five or six Republicans could re- reasonably uh, attribute losing their seats to unhappiness with impeachment a year later. But that's an outside. I mean, that's a that's a high estimate. That's a high. Potential 1998 election effects were party-wide, Morris says, rather than for individual members. None of the votes were taken before the 98 election. And so, in fact, there was at least one Republican who was had traditionally been quite liberal, lost in the 98 election, and then proceeds to vote yes on all four impeachment articles. So I was looking at the impact of the votes themselves. And I think those looking at the impact on the 98 election were thinking more broadly about the impact on the party. And so I think there's an argument to be made that the party, the Republican Party, was weakened to some extent through this impeachment process, but not dramatically. 
I mean, in 98, I believe the Senate was a wash, and I think the Democrats only gained five seats in the House. Now, that is five, a five-seat gain in an off-year election is not trivial, but it's not a dramatic shift after the election of you know, someone who'd been quite a popular president. So even in 98, I'm not sure there's, a, there's really a, a significant impact of the impeachment proceedings. And there are obviously, no one is actually punishing their individual member because those votes hadn't been taken. Alan Abramowitz did find some effects on individual voters in 1998, but Jacobson says that might not have been enough to matter for election outcomes. My first thought would be, well, you know, opinions on impeachment are somewhat endogenous. And so, uh, you know, people who, who prefer Democrats might also have decided that impeachment was a bad thing, too. On the other hand, it's possible that uh, you, know, you, you can move a few votes at the margins. You can end up with a statistically significant effect. But if you aggregate it across uh, uh, real districts, uh, it might not have that effect. I, I noticed that uh, in 2018, those Republicans uh, who were somewhat less supportive of Trump in various ways did better. But they did better only in those districts where it didn't matter. That is, uh, in districts that were competitive, where uh, in the districts where Democrats actually made their gains, there was no effect of, for Republicans on how uh, critical or how supportive they were of Trump. Whereas in, uh, in, in districts where uh, Republicans were reasonably safe, uh, those who were critical of Trump did a little bit better. So it made them a little bit safer. But it, it, uh, it didn't affect the overall distribution of wins and losses. So it might have been something like that in, in uh, 1998 as well. That is, it moved voters in districts where uh, they weren't very competitive, but in the competitive districts, other things are brought before the voters that, uh, that kind of overwhelm these other, overwhelm the impeachment aspect. Morris found a little member defection for Clinton based on differences in party and constituent views party was obviously crucially important. And then when people deviated from their party, it's almost always explainable in terms of their own ideology. And so, you know, 20 plus years ago, you might have some relatively more liberal Republicans or relatively more conservative Democrats that took a stand that was inconsistent with the majority of their party. And usually you can understand that in terms of, of their previous voting pattern. That that is often related to their constituents' preferences is is also true, but that's that's generally true. But the 2000 impeachment effects were minimized by party money and by time. In the House, you don't have a lot of swingable elections, and where you do have swingable elections, House members were in a position to fortify their positions with additional campaign funds, which they did go out, gather, and then spend. In the Senate, you know. If you're in a competitive election, you're always working to raise campaign funds. And so it was more difficult for senators who were in a difficult situation with the party wanting one thing and their constituents largely wanting something else. They were in a somewhat more difficult situation and and a small number of them lost. I think there were five that I point to in the book. One who probably, I'm thinking that was Chafee, but I can't remember, would have, he probably was not going to win anyway. And then there were a set of extremely close races. One could attribute to an impeachment vote 
but one could also attribute to a lot of other things. So like Slade Gordon lost by 2,500 votes in Washington, and he did actually cast one yes vote for conviction, but only one. And so in those very close races, there there's some some reasonable attribution to an impeachment vote. But it was almost two years earlier, and, and many other things could have played a role as well. Jacobson says there are now few with incentives to buck the party. The parties currently hold tend to hold, uh, in Congress, most of the members represent districts where their presidential candidate won or uh, did very close to winning in uh, in 2016. And so you don't have a, as many candidates who are, might be vulnerable for voting one way or another on impeachment. You know, Colin Peterson, one of the two who voted against it, I mean, he's in a district where Trump got 66% of the vote. Uh, he was he miraculously survived uh, in uh, in 16 2016 and 2018, but I I think his days were numbered no matter what once Trump comes back on the top of the ticket. And Morris agrees polarization makes member defection unlikely. The parties are a lot stronger than they were. The attachments to the parties are stronger. Uh, voters are are more polarized, less likely to cross over and support an opposing candidate. I think members are much more fearful of primary challenges than they were two decades ago. And I think districts on average tend to be safer from a partisan standpoint than they were two decades ago. And so going with the party is a safer, it was a pretty safe bet 20 years ago. I think it's a much safer bet now. Primary challenges are also bigger now. Democrats in 1998 were able to split the difference on Clinton, saying it was a personal matter. Republicans have to defend Trump. I think it's hugely important now. I don't think it, I don't think it mattered for Clinton. I don't think it mattered. Uh, Democrats uh, supporting Clinton uh, were in the position of being able to argue, and this is one of the distinctions between these three cases, that this was something that was personal. It was about sex. He lied about it. But, you know, who wouldn't lie about sex under those circumstances? As they were able to uh, rationalize supporting him by arguing that uh, what he did was sleazy and and, uh, and something they didn't want to defend, but it wasn't it was didn't have to do with governing, uh, and therefore he shouldn't be impeached. Nixon, of course, it had everything to do with governing. It was uh, you know, obstructing justice and investigating into his interference into the, or his campaign's interference uh, and break into the Democratic uh, National Committee offices and so forth. It was much more of a, it's much harder to justify. For Trump, it would have been between. On the one hand, what the Democrats are going to be impeaching him for is using his office to put pressure on a, on a foreign country to dig up dirt on his opposition. That's, I think that's the main thing. And that looks like a, mis- a misuse of governmental power. Uh, on the other hand, Republicans, uh, by and large, at least the polling data I've seen, decided this wasn't uh, an impeachable offense, that uh, even if he did it, um, it wasn't such a bad thing to do. Therefore, they're not going to support impeachment. So you have an issue which, wherever there's an ambiguity, everybody can resolve the ambiguity in, face, in favor of their partisan priors. And I think uh, uh, Republicans are likely to be able to do the same thing this time around, as, as the Democrats did uh, uh, back in 1980. In, insofar as Republicans really do 
uh, Republicans in Congress do think that Trump went, Trump crossed the line in, uh, in a kind of trying to bully the, uh, the Ukrainians into going after Biden uh, through his son. They can't, they're not saying it. And they're not saying it because his support among Republicans, ordinary Republicans is overwhelming and they would generate primary challenges were they to uh, desert him on impeachment. So, so in that sense, it's, uh, again, public opinion is dominant here, but it's Republican public opinion that makes it uh, kind of politically sui- political suicide in almost every place I can think of uh, where Republicans are currently in uh, holding the seat would be suicide because they would, would generate a primary challenge. That primary challenge would be well-funded. Conservative media also keeps Republican voters on Trump's side. Nixon did not have vocal defenders in the media about Watergate. There wasn't this institutionalized propaganda machine that Fox News is for Trump. I think that's instrumental on keeping Republicans on his side. It would be a fascinating test, which I don't think we'll get to see if if the Fox News folks soured on Trump and started to let their audience know, wonder how much of how much of that could be peeled off. Uh, it would be a real tension between whether or not they lose their audience or the audience, uh, some of the audience would change their minds. It, it didn't happen. Clinton's a little bit interesting in this way, in that he got lots of criticism in the mainstream media. He got lots of editorial attacks. Uh, he got beaten up pretty badly. Um, and there were calls for his re- resignation, et cetera, et cetera. And they fell on totally deaf ears. John Zaller has a nice paper on that, which he kind of documents this, that it had no effect on uh, on Clinton's support. So uh, for Clinton was helped because people ignored the media. Trump is helped by people either ignoring the mainstream media or being able to tune into uh, to the Fox News and, and the other conservative media that are relentlessly supporters of Trump. And Morris says even more money is now available to support the party line. I think 20 years ago, you had some members that were doing some, I don't know if I would say unusual things, but they had raised money at a significant rate that in some in some of their cases, they had not done previously or had not done for a number of years. Uh, given, again, the, the stronger institutional organizational parties the money that is available to support the party line is greater than it was then. And so members who are going with the party line will find it easier to finance their campaigns than they did 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, they were successful at doing it. Because the key was the the members that were able to raise the money to save themselves were ones who largely had gone with the party against their constituents' preferences. I think today there will be fewer who who are going against their constituents with their votes, and those that do will have more resources available to them to win a general election. The broader pattern, Jacobson finds, is that opinions are much more polarized on Trump. In terms of their standing with the public, you go back to Nixon, the year leading up to his impeachment, his approval rating was at 26%. The economy was in bad shape. We were in a recession. His support among Republicans was uh, averaged about 52%, Democrats 13% approval, Independent 26%. So there's a partisan gap of about 39 points. But the key thing here is that his standing among Republicans, his approval rating was only 52%. 
if you go to Clinton a few years later, Clinton's overall approval rating during the year leading up to his impeachment was about 64%, and it actually went up uh, over the course of that year. Uh, and, and among Democrats, it was at 88%. Republicans at 36%, not, uh, not zero, uh, with a partisan gap of about 52 points. Right now, you've got Trump at 41%, with Republicans at 89%, about as, as well of him as the Democrats did of Clinton uh, back in, in 98. But Democrats only 6% approval, so you have an 83-point gap between the parties. So you have three presidents at different levels of popular approval and very different uh, levels of polarization of the electorate. Even with public shifts during the proceedings, the partisan gaps have usually remained, and they're now getting bigger. It, the size of the polarization is, is uh, a lot. That's been going on for a long time. It's just there's a, a steady increase that goes uh, from uh, from Reagan through the end of the uh, George W. Bush administration, and then gets wider for Clinton, and gets wider again for Bush, gets wider again for Obama, and is wider again for Trump. So it's been a steady prog- uh, progression. The the way in which the public responded to the issue of, uh, of impeachment reflected these differences. And Nixon's during Nixon's impeachment, uh, there's about a 40 point partisan gap between Democrats and Republicans. But that gap doesn't change over time as overall support for Nixon's impeachment national, you know, overall rises from maybe uh, 37, 37 percent to uh, about 57 percent at the time uh, when he resigns. So there's an increase of about uh, 20 points. That increase takes place uh, pretty much uh, the same among Democrats, Republicans and independents, although they start in very different places. So at the end, um, 71% 71% wanted Nixon out, uh, 71% of Democrats, 31% of Republicans, 55% of independents. So there's a kind of party gap, and it's flat at about 40 points. For Clinton, nothing much changes over the course of the uh, the entire impeachment event. It's kind of flatlines, support for impeachment overall flatlines in the mid-30s uh, through most of that period. There's no real trend. Republicans at 63%. There is some change among Republicans. They go from 56% majority to about a 66% majority supporting impeachment. Democrats, no change. Independents, virtually no change. So, so the part, there's a partisan gap that goes from about 45 to about 55 um, percentage points. So again, you have most of the change that goes on during the Clinton uh, impeachment uh, takes place uh, almost exclusively among Republicans. And they become a little bit more supportive of it, but at levels that, that, that you know peak out at around uh, two thirds, or maybe seventy percent in some polls. For Trump, support for impeachment starts out really high among Democrats. Like the day he's elected, it's around seventy percent, and it stays that high until the Ukraine issue shows up in, uh, in September, and then it goes up about ten points to eighty-two percent. Uh, uh, and among Republicans, it's basically low and flat. It goes up a couple of points after Ukraine, but it's uh, only around 10 or 12 percent. And then independents go up about like the nationals, which is you know flat at the low 40s through late September, and now it's up to 47, 48 percent. So you have some change uh, uh, for Trump, but it's, uh, the change is almost entirely dem- driven by Democrats into a second. Uh, secondarily by by independents. So you have a much more polarized situation. He is weaker in terms of 
the public's you know, opposition to his impeachment than either Nixon was until the very end or that Clinton ever was. Uh, on the other hand, as long as he holds on to his Republican base, there will only be a, at best a small popular majority in favor of impeaching him. Morris says Clinton did not see the drop that Nixon did, and Trump looks likely to be more like Clinton. The biggest difference to me between the 98 case and the previous case is the trajectory of public opinion. If you look at where Nixon was early in 73, let's say before Watergate breaks, and you look at where his public standing is when he resigns, it's an extraordinary, it's a precipitous drop. Probably, I, I looked at the figures today, I want to say something along the lines of 40 to 45 percentage points. That obviously did not happen in Clinton's case, and in fact, he did not see precipitous drop, and in some cases was was actually more popular, was quite popular at the end of 98. Um, so that's, that's a dramatic difference right off the bat. I mean, in, in comparison to today, I can't imagine that sort of public opinion drop for an American president today. I mean, first of all, you've got to, you've got to get to 65 or 70 percent to have that drop in the first place, which is sort of hard to imagine. But to have uh, a sufficiently bipartisan level of opposition to presidential behavior or presidential actions to get that drop in public opinion is, quite frankly, hard. Like I said, it's hard for me to imagine in our day and time. Jacobson says the president's party seems to defend the president, historically and now. The president's party never changes much. They usually oppose impeachment. For Nixon, at the very end, the very last poll, Republican support for impeachment goes from you know, 12% up to 30%. But that's the only change you ever see in the, in the president's partisan place. They stay on his side. All the actions on the other side. And the, uh, the other party's partisans have become uh, more supportive uh, of, uh, of impeachment as time goes by. Again, Nixon's a little bit of an exception. The Republicans go up from you know from very low up to the teens and then jump to 30 at the very end. But there isn't isn't a dramatic change, and there wasn't a dramatic change among the uh, Democrats either. They kind of jump up at the end too. They, they weren't overwhelmingly in favor of impeachment until the very end. But he sees some potential effects on the presidential results this time. You're going to have party line voting across the board on this uh, on this issue, which suggests that he he will be impeached uh, and that he will be acquitted in the Senate. The effect of this will all take place in the presidential election in 2020, and I think that's where the impact will be of uh, whatever the Democrats are able to bring out in public that hasn't already been brought out in public uh, through the impeachment process. Uh, I expect the election to look a lot like a combination of 2016 and 2018, uh, where you had very close races in 2018 or 2016 uh, in some states like Michigan and Wisconsin and so forth, where uh, he, he eked out his electoral college victory. Um, and then you have a kind of counter uh, democratic counterattack in 2018, in which they picked up uh, seats in some of those states. Uh, and, and actually had a had a statewide House considerably larger than what Clinton had gotten in 2016. So there's going to be some combination of that. What I think will happen is impeachment will contribute to a really important dynamic uh, generated by Trump, and that is uh, 
huge efforts at turnout and mobilization. Uh, we had uh, turnout in, in 2018, it was uh, 10 or 12 points higher than it's been over the past uh, several decades, the highest it's been in 100 years. I think it'll be amplified. It's, all, it's, it's inevitable because Trump excites strong passions on both sides. And impeachment will uh, just reinforce those passions on both sides. Uh, I don't think many minds going to be changed. There may be some small proportion of uh, the electorate that hasn't made its mind up yet. And well, people among people who at least who call themselves independents, uh, they may still be open to moving one way or another. But I don't think there'll be a lot of movement on that. And so um, it will be uh, the outcome will depend largely on how. Effectively, both sides get their uh, their passionate voters out, and I think they're both going to be quite successful. We're going to see the largest presidential turnout we've seen in many, many decades. And some potential for long-term effects on opinions of the Republican Party. Its effect will be, I think, generational. Trump is very unpopular among younger voters. I think uh, they're, they're more supportive of impeachment than older older voters. This, this is going to uh, have an effect... Uh, in the sense that it will be a stain on the Republican Party if uh, if the sentiments of, uh, of younger voters as they age don't change very much on this. And, and I don't know, it's possible we'll have Trump nostalgia somewhere down the road, but uh, among that generation, but somehow I, I, don't, I don't see it happening yet. Morris fears that the details of the scandal may not matter anymore. No, it's really not clear to me that it, that it matters. I mean, from my own standpoint, you know, what Nixon did was institutionally devastating and had you know, extraordinary costs associated with it in, in a way that I, I don't see Clinton's behavior in the, in, in the same framework. But, I mean, the key is that in what is a, a political activity, I mean, there are no rules for evidence there's no appeal process if the president is removed from office. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president must have committed a particular crime or a crime specifically. And so, you know, even the founders realized this is a political process. That doesn't mean it's not a crucially important process, but it is a political process. And in 1974, you had people on both sides of the aisle who saw what the president had done as being of such uh, serious weight that he would need to be removed from office. But the Ukraine scandal is simpler for Democrats to understand. I think it, it looks better for impeachment because the Ukraine scandal was not uncomplicated, but I believe more straightforward. And I think the Ukraine scandal has had more resonance with Democrats than the uh, Russian scandal. I mean, that's, I think, the key. People who uh, have largely supported the president have, have not been moved, or if they have been moved, they've shifted to more support. Uh, and people who were largely opposed to the president have been moved, and they have been moved to, to greater opposition. At least that's the most recent poll results that I've seen. And so I think that makes a difference with the Democrats because those are their constituents. And I think that was an effect and a, probably a more substantial uh, effect than with the Russian investigation. Neither sees big electoral effects coming, but Jacobson says there's more potential downside for Republicans. 
I have yet to see any groundswell of sympathy for Trump, which is what the Democrats would have to work. I think the, uh, there's more downside for Trump than for the Democrats on this, uh, because it's, there will be an airing of his uh, various transgressions um, in, in full public view. But I also think that the danger for Trump is, is kind of Trump fatigue, that people may get sick of all the drama. I think they already are. Uh, sick of all the drama, and for that reason, decide that they either want to replace Trump or they're, or they're not going to go to the polls to vote for him. They might, they might take the edge off his, his support a bit. You can imagine this kind of going on and on, and people saying, oh, regardless of whether he should be impeached or not, uh, we're sick of it. Let's, let's, let's change. Let's get a change. I think that's, that, that's the danger to Trump. I don't, it may not evolve in that direction. But I think he has a little bit more of a downside than the Democrats to uh, for impeachment. But my my basic bottom line is it's, it's going it, to that is it, it's going to simply reinforce the, the lines of division that we've already been observing. Morris says the difference this time is the variety of Republican defenses. In some ways, this is a more complicated uh, scenario or situation. I think in both the Clinton case and the Nixon case, even supporters were very upset and very critical of the president's actions. I mean, in the Nixon case, very critical, and people were saying it's very, very serious and is sufficiently serious that you should be removed from office. In Clinton's case, I think it was more, it was people were very critical, but you know, among Democrats, largely not sufficiently serious. It does not rise to the standard that the Constitution requires for removal. I think in in the the current case, you have you have all manner of uh, opinions. Yes, it was serious, but it wasn't serious enough. Yes, it was serious and it was serious enough. No, it wasn't serious. I I think you have some who would even say no, it didn't really happen among the president's supporters, that it is uh, completely fabricated. Now, maybe I'm going a little bit too far on that, but that's um, there, there's a level of conflict and controversy over the details, over the uh, characterizations of the actions that I don't think was true in 74, 98. And so, you know, history's evaluation of this is, is going to be somewhat more complicated because there isn't really any consensus at all. Jacobson will be looking for any changes in attitudes across parties. You, you want to look at whether or not anybody's mind gets, gets changed. You want to look at whether there's any shift in aggregate partisanship. Uh, because most of the data that I look at, you know, I, I want to see the breakdown by, by party. Uh, and that's important, but there's also possibilities that the distribution of partisans can shift uh, in, in the course of a, a year or two that in, in a way that has some kind of important consequences. So I'd be, I'll be monitoring uh, aggregate party ID. I'll be monitoring uh, attitudes toward Trump, especially among Republicans. I think everything I look at, you have 95, 90 to 95 percent of Democrats uh, really saying negative things about Trump. And I don't think there's any reason to expect that to change. Uh, Republicans are broadly supportive of him, but on some particular things, 
uh, their support will drop down from you know 85% or 90% down to 67, 68% or 75%. And I'll look forward to see whether there's any change or erosion in that. Again, I don't expect it. Barring some new revelation that uh, even Fox News can't explain away. But barring that, I, I think that there's, there's a possibility of some erosion of Republican support, but it's, it's not going to be big. It's not going to be huge. Morris wants to know if there's any divergence between constituent opinion and party leaders, or if there's no longer a trade-off for following your party. I mean, I would be looking. I would be looking at the same, the same sorts of things. I think what would be interesting here is there were plenty of districts in 1998 where it was clear that the majority of the constituents did not favor the position that their incumbent's party was taking on the issue. Now, in most cases, it was not a problem in the end for incumbents, but there were a number of districts and states where that was true. I'd be interested today to know how many states and congressional districts that's actually true of. How many districts or states have a clear majority of voters or potential voters who have taken a position on the impeachment that's inconsistent with the primary party position for their elected uh, official. My guess is it's a much smaller number. Jacobson sees some signs of a Republican retirement wave, mostly due to being in the minority, but perhaps from tiring of defending Trump. Republican retirements are, are beginning to look like a signal. I think it's largely due to the fact that they're not a minority party and being a minority in the House is no fun whatsoever. We had a lot of Republican retirements in, in uh, 2018, like 40, uh, and we've got up to maybe 19 right now. And that's a sign that they don't uh, they don't want to fight anymore. Uh, this is not a bad time to get out. They're not going to be in the majority, they don't think. Uh, and uh, you know, there, a lot of them are not all of them, but some of them are going to be up against pretty uh, pretty serious opposition. So that suggests that they don't think that Trump's going to triumph and bring a Democrat or a Republican Congress uh, in his wake in 2020. I haven't seen well the nomination quality of the candidates is no idea right now because we haven't seen uh, the nominations take place. I'll be collecting that data, but I always do anyway, regardless of the kind of year it is. I would expect um, a high concentration of quality candidates in swing districts and districts where uh, the, the presidential vote margin is, you know, within two points of the national average one way or the other, or maybe three points of the national average. I think there'll be a huge concentration of resources there. There's a struggle for control of the House. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how Trump plays out uh, in those districts, because they're districts where uh, he was more or less successful and is reasonably successful. Uh, if he just loses a couple of points, then that's, uh, it's all over for him, basically. The other thing I'll be uh, predicting anyway or looking for is, is anybody who's running for the House should consider how they think Trump's going to do in that district because the likelihood of uh, inconsistent outcomes between Trump and the House vote, I think, is really small. It's going to be you know, more than you know, 5 or 6% of the districts that split in any way. There's a lot more to learn. The Science of Politics is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Gary Jacobson and Erwin Morris for joining me. 
Please check out Votes Money in the Clinton Impeachment and Impeachment Politics in the 1998 Congressional Elections, and then listen in next time. Thank you.